Well, John chapter 6, this is a special passage of scripture uh, for me. Uh, the last time I preached it uh, to the church was about three years ago. And uh, while I was preparing for this passage of scripture, our church, our family was going through a storm. Our our daughter was in a storm, um, health-wise, and uh, she was uh, facing the possibility of cancer. Praise God, she didn't have cancer. But in the midst of that storm, I was preparing this text, and Jesus was speaking volumes to me in in that storm as well as a, as a dad. So uh, I'm excited about sharing uh, this with you again, but it's, uh, it's a totally different season now, and uh, there are more storms that have come and gone, and, uh, and, and as a nation, church, we are in a storm. And so I really want to address this text uh, with where we are as a country as well this morning, but uh John chapter 6, let me read verses 16 through 22. This is, this is the Reader's Digest version of this miracle. You can read this about this miracle in the book of Matthew in chapter 14, as well as Mark chapter 6. And I'm going to be referring to those chapters this morning as well. But uh, John gives us the Reader's digest version and it says this when evening came his disciples went down to the sea got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum and it was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing and when they had rowed about three or four miles they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened. And he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at land to which they were going. So, again, this is the Reader's Digest version. If you were to read Matthew and Mark's account of this. Um, you know, when it comes to maybe uh, television and describing these texts, John's version would be black and white. Uh, Mark's version would be color. And Matthew's version would be high definition. And so uh, we're getting the, the, the black and white version uh, this morning. But uh, Jesus has just fed the 5,000. And it's probably more like 25,000. Uh, Craig shared that passage with us last week. And at the conclusion of that miracle, uh, things became problematic. But because of the crowd, the crowd determined that Jesus was the prophet that uh, Moses had described in the book of Deuteronomy, and they wanted to make Jesus king right then and there. And Jesus says, uh-oh, this is not my time. And Jesus was uh, 
concerned about what was taking place, and he told the disciples to get into the boat. Now, when you read verse 16 or verse 17, it says that uh, the disciples got into a boat. But in Matthew 14, Mark chapter 6, the Bible says Jesus commanded the disciples to get into a boat. And so the disciples got into a boat, and they rode away. And Jesus slipped away from the crowd, and when he dispersed the crowd, he slipped away from them and went up into the mountain to pray. And so that's where we are in John chapter 6 this morning. And I just want to give a few observations about what this text uh, says to us today concerning storms. Because we're all going through storms. Either you're about to enter one, you're in one, or you're just coming out of one. But uh, storms are something that we all go through, even as Christians. You know, if someone told you in becoming a Christian that your life would be carefree, that you would never have any problems ever again, if you ask Jesus into your heart, they lied to you because that's not going to happen until after you die. Okay? We all have storms that we go through. And in this passage of Scripture, Jesus sends the disciples into a storm. The disciples didn't know it at the moment. They were just obeying Jesus. Jesus told them to get in the boat. They got into a boat. But little did they know that they were going to be entering a storm and the mother of all storms in their mind. Why did Jesus do this? Because Jesus wanted to reveal more of himself to the disciples. Because if you go to the book of, of Mark, chapter 6, the Bible says that the disciples had a hard heart. <laughs> they had just watched Jesus perform a miracle and feed probably 25,000 people. And they had 12 baskets of bread left over from that miracle where it was began with just five loaves and two Matt Cropley fish, <laughs> teeny-weeny fish. And all this food was left over. Each disciple had a basket. They probably got in the boat with their basket of bread. But the Bible says they had a hard heart. They didn't get who Jesus is still. And so Jesus sends his disciples into a storm. Because he wants to reveal more of himself to them. You know, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 7, 
This is what God says. I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. We like the prosperity part, but we don't like the disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. This is our God, church. God is sovereign over everything. Every storm. Even COVID. God has a plan. God wants to reveal more of himself and what he can do and who he is in whatever storm you face. So Jesus made the disciples get into a boat, head into a storm that they had no idea what was coming. Church, Storms are going to come. And the Bible says we can't be shocked by them. First Peter chapter 4 verse 12. It's in those storms. It's in those fires. It's in those trials of life that God wants to build your faith and my faith. He has a purpose in it all. And so when it comes to storms in our life, Sometimes those storms are our fault because of stupid decisions that we've made. Amen? Amen. Sometimes those storms are because of a rebellious heart. And we wanted to do things our way. But then there's other storms that come into our life. Some knock us off, off guard. We don't know what's coming. Could be a financial storm. Could be a vocational storm. Could be a relational storm. A marital storm. A parental storm. A health storm. It could be a culture storm. And church, our nation is in a cultural storm right now. You know, there, it's an ideological, social, political storm that's facing our country. There are radical anarchists seeking to burn our civil society to the ground. And it is very real. The storm is here. And frankly, the storm has probably just begun. And November 3 is not going to resolve things. Most likely it's going to add fuel to the fire. And who's sovereign over the storm? 
the Lord Jesus Christ. He's got a plan in and through it all. Through it all. And come November 3, church, the stakes are going to be very high. Both nationally as well as locally. You know, we've seen what ungodly city councils do to their community who have a socialistic mindset that have this radical, godless ideology. Church, it's important, it is imperative that we elect God-fearing individuals who are going to serve this community. Amen. And I'm going to go out on a limb right now. If you want to fire me, you go right ahead. But church, I am voting for Lindsey Stevens as mayor and Solomon Roger Rotman as city council member. I don't know who else. I think we have to elect two individuals for city council. But church, we need to elect godly, God-fearing individuals. I like what George Washington said. Religion and morality are the essential pillars of a civil society. Benjamin Franklin said, Only a virtuous people are capable of freedom. As nations become corrupt and vicious, they have more need of masters. There's a mob of radical secularists that want to burn down everything. I know some of you are saying, oh, pastor, don't go political. Listen, when you preach on biblical morality, it's going to come across as political. That's right. But it is Biblical. Right. And the decision that is before us as a nation come November 3rd can't be a sharper contrast than it is today between two political parties. The church must stand for what is right and stop choosing complicity for the sake of peace. Politically, uh, complicity equals surrender. Silence. I like what Martin Luther King said. This was his, was his last sermon before he was killed in uh, Mobile, Alabama. <clears throat> he said this, the church must be reminded that it is not the master or the servant of the state, but rather the conscience of the state. It must be the guide and the critic of the state and never its tool. If the church does not recapture its prophetic zeal, it will be irrelevant. It will be an irrelevant social club without moral 
or spiritual authority. Church, we must stand and we must vote, vote for biblical morality. And there's only one party that stands for the following. Pro-life. The protection of life in the womb. Pro-marriage. Between a man and woman only. Pro-family. Whereas the government doesn't subsidize uh, single mother parenting, but encourages two parent households, not enabling single moms to be dependent upon the state, state and leaving them poor in poverty. Pro gender. When God says that he created man and woman, that's it. We don't give rights, uh, uh, rights to all these other, uh, sexual deviants. Pro-religious freedom. Protecting churches within their convictions regarding sexuality. The LGBTQ. And you need to add P for pedophiles. Plus, protecting churches and their convictions regarding what the Bible says about morality. Pro-law, pro-order, pro-police. Church, we need to stand up for what the Bible says is right. That's right. That will bring blessing, God's general grace of blessing upon the people of this nation. We can't afford to, to give up and let the mob have their way. This country was founded on uh, religious ideals that are worth defending. And people have given their lives to the freedoms that we enjoy t- today. No, it's not the gospel. No, it's not how we are saved. But it is of importance that as God's people, we help defend what has brought us and and given us the blessings, the prosperity that we enjoy today as God's people. We must exercise our freedom as a church to stand against Marxist ideology. Right. While we still have the chance. That's right. Because one day we very, very may, may not have a chance. Oh, we may be able to vote, but our selection will be godless ideology. We can't afford to go there. It's worth the fight. I like what Jim Caviezel, 
said uh, here recently in an interview, uh, Jim Caviezel played uh, Jesus in The Passion of the Christ, and he quoted a speech from Ronald Reagan that he gave in uh, 1964 in addressing Russia and the Cold War. And this is what he said, Ronald Reagan said, at the end of that speech. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots of Concord Bridge have refused to fire the shot heard around the world? The martyrs of history are, were not fools. And our beloved dead who gave their lives to step, stop the advance of the Nazis did not die in vain. Where then lies the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. That you and I have the courage to tell our enemies. There is a price we will not pay there is a point beyond which evil must not advance. In the words of Ronald Reagan, evil is powerless if the good are unafraid. Church, we need to be unafraid. I am not sensationalizing things right now. Our country is in a storm. You may not think it's all that bad. Well, church, we live in a bubble here in Ridgecrest. You know, if you go back to the text, I'm eventually going to get there. The disciples were rowing in a storm, and uh, they feared for their life. And Jesus didn't come walking on the on the water in the midst of the storm until the fourth watch. Now, he made him get in the boat before it got dark. Things were pretty calm. But they had been rowing a long time. And Jesus didn't come till the fourth watch. What time is it in our storm? I have no idea. I think it's all relative. And from our perspective here in Ridgecrest, it's probably 7 or 8 o'clock in the evening. But you know, to police officers in Portland or Seattle or Washington, D.C. or Chicago... It's the fourth watch. It's the fourth watch for their families. I don't know what it's going to look like after November 3. But God does. And we need to be trusting him. 
the mob is emboldened, church, to destroy this country. And there are plenty of evil politicians and attorneys who are more than willing to enable their cause. You know what the sad part is? For some pastors that I know, they have taken the neutral route. They have chosen silence. Because they don't want to offend those who they are trying to reach. They don't want to harm the gospel. I like what Denzel Washington says. Some people will never like you because your spirit irritates their demons. Church, we need to speak the truth. Amen. And we need to speak the truth in love. Amen. But we don't have to be afraid. This is what the Bible says. And we are standing for biblical morality. So, back to the Bible. Church, Jesus is sovereign. Let me read Isaiah chapter 45, verse 7, one more time. I form the light and create the darkness. I bring prosperity and and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. Why are these things happening in our nation today? Maybe because God is wanting to drive us to our knees and to believe him and to see him walking to us in the storm. So God's sovereign. What does he want us to know? Number one, he wants us to know that he sees what's going on. Yes. You know, if you go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 48, or, or I'm sorry, Mark chapter 6, verse 48, or Matthew chapter 14, verse 24, the Bible says in Matthew 6, Jesus saw that they were making headway painfully mm. in the storm. It's the middle of the night. Jesus is up on the side of the mountain. Jesus has been praying. And Jesus sees what's going on with those disciples in the midst of their dark. They can't see Jesus. They got water in their eyes. They got hair, their hair in their face. They're a mess. They're screaming to God for help. But Jesus sees them. He sees that they are making headway painfully. Verse chapter Matthew 14, 24 says, their boat had been beaten by the waves. What storm are you in? I know I've talked about our nation up to this point. But some of you are in a different storm. Jesus sees how painfully you have been rowing. 
in your storm. Your boat is beaten. You're tired. You're scared. Jesus wants you to know that he sees. Yes. I want to encourage you, okay? We're just, we just read black and white version of this miracle. But please go and read Mark chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 14. It will bless your hearts. Jesus sees. What else does he want us to know? Jesus prays. He was up on that mountain praying for his disciples. He knew it was going to be hard. He knew what was before them. And he's praying. What's he praying for? I believe he was praying for their faith. Yes. That it would hold strong. You know, Peter, when it came to the crucifixion of Christ, Jesus was saying that uh, I'm going to die. I'm going to be coming back again. And Peter said, Jesus, God forbid. I'll defend you to death, Jesus. That's not going to happen on my watch. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. I'm here to do the Father's will. He tells Peter, Peter, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. Peter couldn't believe it. He would never do that. Jesus said to Peter, but after you have fallen, Peter, I'm praying for your faith. That through this event, you will experience God's grace in your life and you will strengthen your brothers. I'm praying for your faith, Peter. I believe Jesus is praying for these disciples' faith. You know what? Jesus is praying for your faith. Yes. I don't know what you're going through. But Jesus does. Jesus sees. Jesus prays. And Jesus is coming. It was the fourth watch for the disciples. That's around 3 or 4 a.m. They have been struggling all night long. And Jesus waits till the fourth watch. You may think Jesus is late. Jesus is right on time. He was right on time for these disciples. And he's right on time for us. And disciples wanted to make sure that this story was recorded because it's not just what Jesus did in their life, but it's what Jesus wants to do in our life. Church, 
our our salvation is not in who sits in the White House or how many conservative judges there might be on the Supreme Court. It's not the Supreme Court. There's another Supreme Court. That's right. And it has one judge, Jesus. And he's going to judge everyone. And that's where our hope lies. So Jesus is coming. The fourth thing that Jesus wants us to know, that Jesus can calm the storm. And only Jesus can calm the storm. If you looked at anything else in your life, it may be important. It may be necessary. It may be good and appropriate. But only Jesus can ultimately calm the storm. And you need to trust him. Jesus created this storm, this calamity. Walk on water was walking on the very thing that the disciples feared the most, water. That they were going to drown by this water. Jesus was crushing it. He was on top of it. I don't know what your storm is today. Jesus is bigger than your storm. And you know what? Whatever storm we face as a nation, Jesus is bigger than this storm. He has a plan. We may very well lose all of our religious freedom and begin to have to suffer real religious persecution like so many other believers do around the world. But as far as I'm concerned, it ain't going to happen without a fight. Right. We need to stand for what is right and take responsibility. What does Jesus want us to do? Look at what he wants us to know. What does he want us to do? Or what he wants us to pray. I don't know about you, but I was really encouraged yesterday uh, at what happened in Washington, D.C. with the prayer march. That was an awesome event to see thousands and thousands of, of Christians coming together to lift up their country, to lift up our leaders, to pray for repentance and salvation. And church, I want to take a moment to pray. We have a responsibility to pray. Yes. And so right where you're at, 
in the quietness of this moment, I want us to pray. Number one, let's pray for repentance. God's not going to heal our land until the people of God repent. Pray. Pray. Ask God to forgive you. Pray for salvation. Maybe you're here this morning and you're without a relationship with Christ. Maybe you're in a storm today because Jesus wants to be in relationship with you. If you've never asked him to become the Lord and Savior of your life, maybe today's the day of your salvation. Pray for others that you know are lost and need to come to know Christ. Pray for our president. Pray that he'll make wise decisions. Thank God for our president. The things that he's standing for, the courage he has, for our religious freedom. He's not our Savior. But he is our president. Pray for his family. Pray for our new Supreme Court nominee. Nominee. And Amy, I believe her last name is Bennett. Barrett. Barrett. She's going to face hell. Her family's going to face hell. Ask God to protect them. What a beautiful family. What a beautiful testimony the grace of God in a family's life. Let's pray for our faith. That our faith will be strong in Christ the right place. Let's pray for courage. That our nation will not capitulate to the socialist mob that wants to burn everything down. Father, thank you for hearing our prayer. 
God, you're not a man-made idol. Oh, we've got lots of idols in our lives that we put before you. And God, forgive us, including our politics. Thank you for being our God who hears. By your grace, you've allowed us to see you, to know you, to believe you. Help us to have faith in the storm. Help us to have the mind of Christ. Help our light to shine that we might be a testimony, God, to those who hate us. Help us to love our enemy like you love, loved your enemy. In Jesus' name, amen. So what does Jesus want us to do? He wants us to pray. He wants us to have faith, to not be afraid. Go back to Matthew chapter 14. Jesus, or Peter asked Jesus, Peter, Jesus, can I come out to you? Jesus said, come. Peter got out of the boat in the middle of that storm started walking to Jesus. But then Peter took his eyes off of Jesus and started looking to the waves. And when he looked to the waves, he began to sink. Jesus doesn't want us to have to be afraid. And each of those miracle chapters he told his disciples be of good courage don't be afraid let's exercise faith let's look beyond the circumstances and look to the person who is overseeing it all Jesus and when we look to Jesus Fear is driven away. Perfect love casts out all fear, the Bible says. Draw near to Jesus. And then number three, what are we supposed to do? What do we need to do? Vote. (laughs) You need to exercise your civic responsibility. It is our right to help decide what is best for our community and our nation. If you're not registered to vote, you need to be registered this year. Yes. Do it tomorrow. I mean, can you even do it online? Yes. Yeah? Okay. You know, they've taken away all the excuses. You'll probably get a ballot in the mail. You'll probably get 10 ballots in the mail. I don't know. But you know what? Vote. Do it. It is one of the ways we serve our country. It is one of the ways that we love our neighbor. 
I've shared this verse before, and I'm going to share it again. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7. Verse 7. Israel was in Babylon. They were going to be there for 70 years because they were being judged by God. And this is what God told Israel in Babylon. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So church, as we trust him, as we vote our according to our biblical values, God has the opportunity to bless not only ourselves, but our community and our nation. I don't know about you, but I don't want all this to go away. We have been extremely blessed because of the sacrifices our forefathers who gave up for our freedoms. Hundreds of thousands lost their lives, shed their blood so that we might experience the freedoms that we have today. You know what? So I'm not concerned. The things that I'm sharing, I'm not concerned about my freedom. I'm concerned about my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren's futures. I can care less about mine, okay? I'm almost at the end of my toilet paper roll, if you know what I mean. It's going really fast. But I want this nation to be here for my grandkids and my great-grandkids. And that means that we need to care. And we need to stand for what's right. Right. The church... The storm hasn't caught Jesus by surprise. And he's got a purpose in all of it. And number one, he wants to bring us to our knees. I don't know how long that's going to take or what events are going to have to transpire for that to happen. But he wants us to depend on him. Let's be people of faith and do the right thing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this this time and, and your word. And God, for storms. When we can learn to thank you for storms, God, that means that we are growing. Growing in Christ-like maturity and faith and trusting you, knowing that you are in control of all things. Encourage my brothers and sisters here. Encourage those who are listening by lo- online who can't be here in the park today. God, you see. And you're praying. And you're coming. And you're going to come. Thank you, Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.